Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Isaiah. And today we'll be in the relatively short passage of chapter 39. Isaiah 39. When I was in the ninth grade, I was invited to go to the Mid-South Coliseum. Some of you don't even know what that is. During the Mid-South Fair, some of you don't know what that is. To see a country music show, some of you sure don't know what that is. The stars that night included a lot of people, including Charlie Pride and Jerry Clower. And back then, uh, they would let in disabled veterans free and anybody that was with, with them. And so my across-the-street neighbor was a man who served in the Korean War, and he had gone all through battle and everything else, never gotten seriously injured. But on the way home, after he had been uh, dismissed from service after the war was over, he was traveling home, had a car wreck, and became... Uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And he lived like that until he died. Uh, he lived with his elderly dad and mom right across the street from us on Tatum Road. I never knew his real first name. He, we called him Buzzy. You gotta understand, I'm from the country, all right? So Buzzy Whittington. And his mother and dad, I never knew their real names. They were Ma and Pa, and I'm not kidding you, all right? So here you got Buzzy Whittington and his mom and dad, Ma and Paul Whittington. And uh, I got to go with Buzzy and Paul to the Mid-South Coliseum to see a country music show during the Mid-South Fair. And I was into it, man. I was ninth grade. I loved country music. I still like it. I like some of the lyrics, but I still like the, the music of it. And uh, I can remember... On the way down, by the way, we went to Loeb's Barbecue. Does anybody remember Loeb's Barbecue? Oh my, oh my. So I'm pushing him in the wheelchair. I get in the concert free consequently. And uh, I'm sitting there and I look across the room. Charlie Pride's on the platform singing and Jerry Clower is standing on the steps about to go up and I have to have his autograph. Uh, oh, right. anyway, I had to go over there and get that. And so if y'all don't know what I just did, it's understandable, but don't worry about it. That was purposeful. And uh, so I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a pen. So Paul gave me a pen. I didn't have anything to write on. So I pulled out a dollar bill. And I went over, I said, Mr. Clower, would you sign my dollar bill? He said, I sure will, son. He signed my dollar bill. And then when the singer came off and, I asked him, you know, would you play Charlie Pride? Would you sign my dollar bill? I sure will, son. And I got more signatures that night. And I went back every year with Buzzy and Paul for about three or four more years. And I got all kind of about 20 signatures on there. I mean, we're talking about Loretta Lynn, all right? I bet you don't have her signature. <laughs> I did. Did is the operative word there. Uh, Conway Twitty, Freddie Fender. I bet you don't have his autograph, do you? I did. And several others. Whatever happened to that dollar bill? Well, one night I was eating a pizza at Pizza Hut in Dyersburg. Oh, yeah. And I went to pay, and I was a dollar short. 
True story. Now, why in the world I carried that dollar with me everywhere I went, I don't know. I, maybe I'd see some country music person out somewhere and get another autograph. But it was full of people who have become famous now. Some would say legendary. It depends on if you like country music or not. But I gave that dollar bill. I could have called my parents, but you know, I didn't. You know why? I wasn't very smart, <laughs> obviously. And so I gave away that dollar. Not the wisest thing I ever did. I gave away something that can never be replicated for a pizza. You say, Brother Steve, I think you're too dumb to be up there preaching. I, some, sometimes I wonder myself, all right? But I've, I've lived a long time and I, I've pastored a long time and I've seen people give away things that are precious for relatively nothing. I've seen them mess up their lives, their families' lives for a few minutes of some type of pleasure or for some drug that's supposed to give them some high. And it devastates their careers, it devastates their families. I've known men that have messed up and not been faithful to the wife of their youth just because of a siren call from someone who is immoral. And then once that person used that guy, she dropped him and went to somebody else. I've seen things like that all my life. You know, we're the ones that deal with the broken people. Amen. And you can be fixed, but I've seen devastation in families and in lives. Not always, but a lot of times, a lot of times, it was somebody giving away something precious for something that was sinful. Not always, but some of the times. And some of you are victims of that. You say, I know what you're talking about. I had somebody I dearly loved that did that to me. Some of you are like that today. And what I call it is what the Bible refers to as casting pearls before swine. Isaiah 39. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Remember, we talked about that last week when he was sick and got healed. Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house. Uh-oh. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, that is all of his military might, all of his weapons, all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came, uh-oh. He came to King Hezekiah and he said to him, what did these men say and from where have they come to you? Hezekiah said, he's got a little bit of an attitude here. You can almost hear it. They've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. 
In other words, beat it, preacher. He said, what have they seen in your house? This is Isaiah talking. So Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I've not shown them. And I believe that I'm speaking with the tone that he had. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Wow, that's another level from hearing you the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials. But that's not really the Hebrew word. It's eunuchs. I'll explain more of that later on. In the palace of the king of Babylon, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, and this is one of the most astounding Verses in the Bible, I can't even fathom in some ways, except it was just a very weak moment for Hezekiah. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. What? Good? I, I don't see the good in it. Look at the last part. For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. He didn't care about his kids. He didn't care about what happened to his grandchildren. He didn't care about the future of the nation. He was all into himself. Is it quiet in here? Isn't that the way we get a lot of times? As long as I'm okay. Well, I can't help what's going to happen to my kids. I can't help what's going to happen to future generations. Okay, let's talk about casting pearls before swine. Let me give you just a little bit of background because if you don't understand this, you don't get the whole thing, okay? So please listen to me just for a second. Well, about 30 more minutes. <laughs> please listen. What you've got here is this. Hezekiah has just come off one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament. God said, set your house in order, you're gonna die. He turns his, this is back to the previous chapter, turns his face to the wall, cries to the Lord, begs God to heal him, tells him how good, what a good boy he's been, all that stuff. And that's not why God healed him. God just sovereignly chose to heal him. And so God says, I don't just heal you, but I give you 15 years more to live. You know, sometimes you come off the biggest spiritual high and you make the biggest, dumbest mistake you've ever made. That can happen. This is the, the chapter 38, it's by far the biggest most mountain high time in his life spiritually. Chapter 39 is by far the lowest he's ever gone in his spiritual life. It can happen that quick, folks. It can happen that quick. More about that later. So, well, here's the deal. The Assyrians were everybody's enemy. And God had told Hezekiah, I'm gonna defeat the Assyrians, but the way we're gonna defeat them is I'm going to help you and I'm gonna give you the strength and I'm going to give you the anointing, and I'm going to make you successful in battle. I'm all you need. But the Babylonians were out there, total pagans, absolutely no God of any, any real God, no Jehovah, no real God, just a bunch of idols. They're mean. 
but they have something in common with Judah. They both are afraid of, ba of Babylon. Or, or they're both afraid of Assyria. And so Babylon comes to Hezekiah and the son of the king, who's going to be the king himself one day when his dad dies, says, uh, how are you doing? We've heard that you're sick. Oh, we just, we're so glad you're well now. And he tries to make an alliance with him and say, uh, we've got a common enemy called Assyria and we Babylonians, even though we're pagans now, we, we're good people and we want to align with you. And God had said, don't align with any pagan nation. Don't do it. But Hezekiah made the mistake to do it. Worst decision he ever made. He had just had the greatest, highest spiritual time in his life and he makes the worst decision he's ever made. Look at me. I don't care how spiritual you have been. You can blow it in one moment. You can blow the rest of your life in one moment. And so Hezekiah says, okay, we're in. And God says, Isaiah, confront him. And he did. And you can tell in the language, Hezekiah didn't like it. And then at the end, he says, everything's gonna be okay in my life. What do I care about my kids? And he goes right on. Pride will make you sin and pride will keep you in sin. All right, let's talk about casting your pearls before swine, which is what he did. First of all, look at the danger of an unguarded mind. An unguarded mind. People say, I don't have any control over my mind. Yes, you do. You have a control over what you put in your mind and you also have a control over what you think on. Now, you don't have a control over every fiery dart that the devil puts in your mind, but you can deal with it the moment it hits there. You don't have to live in it and you don't have to baby it and you don't have to believe it and you don't have to let it stay there. You can cast it out. More about that later. You gotta guard your mind and if you don't, it's danger. Look at verse one. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. Everybody loves a gift for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. So here's the son of Baladan, Merodach Baladan. He, his dad, Baladan, is the king of Babylon. He's on a mission. He acted like he cared about the health and the well-being of King Hezekiah, whom the Lord had recently healed, but he really didn't. He was just trying to get them, come to help us defeat the Assyrians. He was using them. People will use you if you let them for very sinister means. So this is a purely political visit. And Hezekiah was so naive, he fell into the snare of the Babylonians. Look at verse two. Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, the whole armory, all that was found in his treasuries, there was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show him. Instead of guarding the treasures of the people of God and of his family, he exposed them to danger. Look at me. A leader is supposed to protect the sheep, not make them vulnerable to the wolves. You don't cast your pearls before swine. 
This next picture is a picture of someone casting his pearls before swine. The guy on the left is Neville Chamberlain, former prime minister of England. The guy on the right is Adolf Hitler, who in my opinion had the spirit of Antichrist on him. I don't say he's the Antichrist, I'm just saying he had the spirit of Antichrist on him. Before it was over with, he would be responsible for killing six million Jews, three million of whom were under the age of 10. And you say, why do you have that picture up there? Leave it up there for a moment. Chamberlain became prime minister of England in 1937. And had he gathered his troops together along with Czechoslovakia and some other places. At that moment, Hitler's army was not strong enough to defeat them. But Hitler was playing Neville Chamberlain <coughs> who tried to appease this man who was a monster, demonized, I'm convinced, Adolf Hitler was. Instead of opposing him. He just wanted to talk things out. If he just read Mein Kampf, which is Hitler's book that he wrote in prison, he would have known what Hitler was up to. Hitler said, I'm going to take over every nation in Europe, one nation at a time. And what he did was he would take over nations. Oh, that's the last one. Don't worry. And then he'd take over another and another and another. Hitler had, he'd already laid out his plan. You didn't have to wonder what he was going to do. But Chamberlain said, oh no, all men are reasonable. No, they're not. And he found that out because he laid out and didn't go to war in 37. In 1939, Hitler invaded Poland, which was a massively strong nation. And just by that time, Hitler's army was unbelievable. And then the next year, 1940, he took over Norway and Denmark Chamberlain had to resign before he was voted out. And in came a man named Winston Churchill who kind of looks like a bulldog, all right? And he was. And he rallied the troops and got the United States and others together and they defeated Hitler. Before they did, though, millions of people died because of the man on the left right there tried to bargain when he needed to battle. And he tried to show, he showed the pearls, if you will, of all of England to this man that was like the Babylonians, an ungodly man. Neville Chamberlain had an unguarded mind. You can take him off there. If you have an unguarded mind, you're going to suffer. You have to think right to act right, and you have to act right to live right. It all starts with how you think. It's all in your mind. It really is. You keep on feeling sorry for yourself, you're going to have a sorry life. You keep on thinking about evil things, you're going to have an evil life. You think on sinful things, you'll have a 
Sinful. You think on selfish things, you'll have a selfish life. That's the way it is. It's not just you reap what you sow, it's you reap what you think. And you can control your thoughts. The enemy is telling young children right now, oh, you had this thought. You're a male, but you had this thought that you're a female, so maybe you're really a female. Look at me. That is a lie from the liar. That's a lie. You don't have to believe that thought. You don't have to believe, you know. I've asked some of my grandkids, what are you? I'm an elephant today. <laughs> Since when do children who are six or seven years old, why should they able to be able to make decisions that will affect them the rest of their lives? And they get mutilated and then later on regret it. Sorry, somebody needs to say something about it. And it starts in your mind. Romans 8, 6, say it with me. For the mind set on the flesh, read it with me now, is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. How many of you want life and peace? Get your mind right. Romans 12, 2, read it with me. It's a good one. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, now watch this, by the renewing of your, your mind, so that you may prove or discern what the will of God is, read it out loud now, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you want what is good, acceptable, and perfect? Amen? Amen. Get your mind right. And how do I do that? When you have a sinful thought, take it captive and take it down. Amen. How do I do that? Glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. No, 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 no. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of Christ. Here it is now. And we, read it out loud with me, are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Read it again. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Read it again. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Read it two more times. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what are we doing? We are taking every thought to the captive. How many thoughts? And what are we going to do? Take it what? To the obedience of whom? Christ. We're going to start thinking like Jesus. Amen? Why? Because when we think like Jesus, we will live like Jesus. And when we live like Jesus, that's the goal of the Christian life is to live like Jesus. And you can't live like him unless you think like him. And you got to take your thoughts captive. The obedience of Christ. When you get that urge to say that little snarky thing to your spouse, take that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And you'll have a better weekend, amen? Why does the snarky thought always come to you on the way to church? Oh man, this, this would fit, this fits this perfect. No, 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 put the brakes on. Don't have an unguarded mind. Get your mind right so you can get your life right. Amen. Amen. Colossians 3, 2 is good. I'm sure God appreciates me approving of it. 
Let's read it together. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You know, you know how your life is gonna go? However your mind goes. Get your mind right, and you'll get your life right. Oh, beware of the danger of an unguarded mind. Secondly, note the danger of an unguarded mouth. It's one thing for it to be in your mind. It's another thing to come out of your mouth. Well, I just speak my mind. Yeah, we know. <laughs> That's why you're by yourself all the time. <laughs> I'm not talking about everybody here by themselves. I'm just saying, when you just constantly speak your mind, people don't want to be around you. Sometimes some things come in your mind that come from the enemy. You don't need to speak that stuff. You okay with me? You okay? I didn't just put down anybody that's by themselves. I'm just saying that if you always say everything that comes to your mind, nobody's going to want to hang around you. Amen. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they have, where, did, where have they come to you from? You know, you can ask questions and you can get a lot of information. Hezekiah was mad. He said, they've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. You see, his big mouth jeopardized everybody in Judah. Everybody, let me tell you something. One of the biggest things that I pray for is that I will not do or say something that would harm you. As a leader, you gotta be careful. Hezekiah's mouth jeopardized not only himself, but every citizen of Jerusalem and Judah, every boy, every girl, every man, every woman. And he started listening to the wrong people. He started listening to the Babylonians. And he started thinking wrong thoughts. And so Isaiah confronts him. God is doing the confronting through Isaiah. What did these men say? From where have they come to you? Isaiah already knew what they were doing. He, he knew. God knew. It's like Adam hiding from God. Go try that. God knows where you are. God says, uh, what have you been doing, Adam? And Adam fesses up, but I mean, God already knew. He's trying to get him to confess. And so Hezekiah's got a bad attitude. They've come to me. They didn't come to you, preacher. They came to me from a far country. It's no big deal. They're far away. They're not gonna hurt us. They're from Babylon. You don't even know them. They're not a threat to Judah. That's what he's saying. But Isaiah wasn't tricked. He kept probing. What have they seen in your house? Verse four. Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. Preacher, back off. Everything. They've seen my mansion. They've seen my walls around my house. They've seen my gold, my silver, my flocks, my animals, my fields, my crops. They've seen my vast family, all my children, my grandchildren, my in-laws, all my leaders, all the common people. And that is where Hezekiah went wrong. All those things, look at me, look at me. 
He didn't create those things. God had given him those blessings. And he showed them all of his pearls. He showed them all of his treasures. He showed them all those precious things that he, he thought were his. They weren't his. He was just a little steward. He was just a little caretaker. That's all he was. He didn't manufacture all those kids and all those blessings and all, those, all that he had inherited from all his other kings and all that. He didn't, he didn't manufacture the army. It was already there when he showed up. He may have made it better, but he had received it all and it all came from God. Every good blessing comes from God. If you can walk out of here, thank God because God gave you the ability to walk. If you came in here and you have the eyes to see what's going on, thank God because it's God who gave you eyes to see. God who gave you ears to hear. God who gave you a mouth to speak truth, not lies. God who's given you the family that you've got. God who has given you the health that you've got. Everything you have belongs to God. You're just a little caretaker. That's all you are. Hezekiah, your pride is going to be your downfall. Now, I hang around preachers a lot. I love preachers. I don't like it when they start bragging about numbers. I don't like it. Look at me. I'm not trying to sound all humble and everything. I have no idea how many people come to our worship services. I have no idea how many people are in our Sunday school I don't even know unless they show me how much, how many people are here, you know, and all that. I don't know how much the offerings are. I don't look at all that stuff. You say, well, you're, you're in charge. I'm not in charge. God is in charge. And what is it, no offense, but what does it matter? And you get a bunch of preachers together. Well, how many do you have? I don't know what Jew have means, but I've heard it all my life. <laughs> how many do you have? How many jaw have? If they're from Tennessee, jaw have. How many do you have in Sunday school? How many do you have in worship? And then they ask, how many do you have in the nursery? Who cares? How many do you have in the nursery? How many diapers do they go through? Come on, get out of that. How big was your offering yesterday? I'm going to tell you, man, that leads to pride. You get, you get a bunch of preachers talking about that way. I just kind of say, hey, God bless you all. I'm out of here. Okay, great. I just don't like it. What does it matter? Remember David? Remember King David, man after God's own heart? Remember his big sin with Bathsheba? He looked and it became a lustful look. He brought her in. He was immoral with her. He got her pregnant, killed her husband, might as well have, sent him up to the front of battle and told everybody to pull back, killed her husband, struggled the rest of his life. And when the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart except for his relationship with Bathsheba, that's what the Bible says. One reason I know the Bible, that God wrote the Bible is because if you did bad, God talks about it. Amen. <laughs> he doesn't cover it up. And David some people got killed because of Bathsheba, but look at me. That's not, as far as the sins that he committed, there was another sin later on in his life when he was just, he had no more enemies, all defeated all of his foes and everything else. He says, okay, Joab, go out there and count how many citizens we got. Go out and see what we had today in your numbers. And Joab said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. 
Yeah, go on out there. I'm telling you, I'm not asking you to go. And he counts everybody and he comes back and God says, you have messed up because all, the only reason you want that, David, is so you can go around bragging about how big your kingdom is. And it's not your kingdom anyway, son. It's my kingdom. I'm the one that's blessed you. And God killed 70,000 of them because of pride. Pride goes before destruction. Now, I've heard preachers all my life talk about numbers, 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 and I just think, when I hear it, I say, pride, pride, pride. Stop it. God hates pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. I heard somebody say one time, he said, I know some people, they're so proud, they can strut sitting down, amen? <laughs> Meditate on that for a while. What did Jeremiah say in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24? Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. 1 Peter 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Say that out loud. Clothe yourselves with humility. When you get dressed, before you do, would you put on a little humility? Amen. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself. Look at me. You'd better humble yourself before God does have to. You got to get little enough for God to use you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Oh, the danger of an unguarded mouth. I got to hurry here. The danger of an unguarded mouth. Look at also the denunciation of an unwise moment. God confronted the king. Oh, he thought he was a big shot. He was talking to the Babylonians. Oh, man, I, I've made it now. I'm talking to the Babylonians. Oh, that's a big country. Oh, yeah, we're going to defeat these Assyrians. No, no, no. It's not the way it's going to go. He had cast his pearl before swine and God came after him. Same God who healed him is the same God who came after him. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. That is the Lord of the angels. Hey, king, there's somebody more powerful than you. He is the Lord of hosts. You may think, Hezekiah, you're a big shot, but hear the, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Angels obey him, even though you didn't. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, all that your fathers have laid up in the store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Because you have shown the Babylonians all your treasures You've entered into a covenant with them. You've asked them to help you overthrow the Assyrians instead of trusting in me. The Babylonians are gonna take everything you've got one of these days. And they won't just take your riches, they're gonna take your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And they're not gonna just take them, they're gonna emasculate all the boys. 
so they can't produce any more Jews. Some of your sons will issue from you, verse seven, whom you will beget will be taken away and they'll become officials, eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. The American Standard says officials. The ESV, the English Standard Version says rightly so, eunuchs. That's why I've said for years, I'm virtually positive that Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego were all eunuchs. They'd been emasculated. That's why we never hear of them marrying. They were eunuchs because of Hezekiah. That's why they were eunuchs. That's why Daniel never had a wife because of an unwise decision by a king named Hezekiah. And Isaiah gave this denunciation of his unwise moment. Think about how one little bad decision can change your whole life and the trajectory of your family. One little bad decision. One little stupid, can I say that? Too late. I'm talking to myself. An unwise moment. You can say or do something that can tarnish your testimony for the rest of your life. David did it with Bathsheba. Moses did it with his anger. I've been reading that. Man, Moses, I read that this week. He was so tired of these people. I mean, he'd, he'd been out there for 40 years. They'd been complaining the whole day. You ever been in a van going across country with a bunch of kids in the back? Anybody ever had that privilege? Anybody out there? Yeah. By the time you get to New Mexico, you're, you've had all you can stand, all right? Now think about Moses. He's got 600,000 men, probably about two or three million people, and they're complaining day in, day out for 40 years, and he'd had it. God said, he said, they need water, told the Lord. Okay, speak to the rock. And what he was saying is, that way they'll know that I did it and you didn't. Last time you struck the rock, that's fine. You did it right last time. You speak to the rock and all this water will come out. Okay. He goes over there and he said, you bunch of renegades. And I won't even tell you what it was in Hebrew and all that stuff, but it was bad. <laughs> will I not bring forth for you water out of this rock? And he whacks the rock with his stick. And the water comes out and God says, Come here, son. Did I tell you to strike that rock? No. Did I tell you to speak to that rock? Yes. You disobeyed me, and guess what? You're not going into the promised land. That doesn't mean he went to hell, but he never got to go into Canaan. And he's buried up on the side of a mountain. I've been to that mountain several times. Don't know where he is, because God was the only one at the funeral. But he missed the promised land because of an action and God denounced it. Christian, beware. One unwise moment can cause you to do something you'll regret the rest of your life.
Don't cast your pearls before swine. Well, we've seen a lot, haven't we? Casting pearls before swine. Danger of an unguarded mind, danger of an unguarded mouth, denunciation of an unwise moment. But finally, look at this, the dreadfulness of an uncaring mentality. I'm telling you, verse eight is one of the most difficult verses for me to read in the whole Bible. I'm telling you, it is hard for me to handle this. Verse eight, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. Can you imagine being that messed up? What you've said is good. Now, why do you think it's good? For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. I've read this dozens and dozens of times. I find it hard to believe. It's gotta be one of the lowest moments in Hezekiah's life. A mature man of God acting absolutely selfish. Narcissistic is the word. I looked it up. I've heard it so many times. He's narcissistic. She's narcissistic. Well, what does that mean? It means this. Extremely self-centered with an exaggerated sense of self-importance marked by or characteristic of excessive admiration or infatuation with oneself. Well, hello, that defines just about everybody in America. <laughs> we all think so much of ourselves. You can't pull in front of me. This is my lane. What's wrong with you? You can't get in front of me. You can't look at me like that. You can't say that to me. Mad all the time. It's all about us. Oh, you're telling me God's not going to bring judgment in my lifetime? Great. I don't care about future generations. Hezekiah didn't care. He was self-centered. He didn't care about his grandchildren. He didn't care about them becoming eunuchs. He didn't care about any of it. How can you go to turning your head to the wall and praying for healing and getting healed and getting 15 more years on your life to this? It shows me that, look at me, I don't care how high you are on the mountain, you can fall in a valley real quick. And you and I are susceptible to it. If a man like Hezekiah can fall, so can you. Don't get too haughty. We trade our pearls for swine all the time. Might be through unhealthy living, unhealthy eating, we trade good health for that, this pearl of good health. We pray, we pray, uh, we trade our minds to the enemy. We read the book of the month instead of the book of the ages. We talk to everybody, everyone and anyone, but we never talk to the only one. We go to church, it fits our schedule. But if our kids have a ball game on Sunday, let's go to that instead. With all due respect, if you don't consistently take your children to church and the reason is you're signing them up for sports to play on Sunday, hoping that they're going to get an athletic scholarship to college, they're not gonna get it because they're not good enough. 
You okay? Did I just burst somebody's bubble? Go look at the percentages of people that play high school football that actually get any kind of scholarship to college. Now, one or two of you might, but the rest of us, it ain't gonna happen. And you're gonna keep them out of church on Sunday to play sports so they can get a scholarship that they're not gonna get, and then when they get grown, they don't love Jesus because you kept them out of church. You okay? You all right? I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I've seen this all my life. That's the bad thing about living a long time. You see a lot of stuff. Don't give away what's precious for that which is trivial. Don't be like Esau. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And don't have an uncaring mentality. And I pray for my kids, but I'm gonna tell you something. I really pray for my grandkids. It's changed so much since I was young. And I pray for my grandchildren. I can't even fathom. If the Lord doesn't show up in revival, I can't even fathom what my grandchildren are gonna experience. And I do care. I do care. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I even love my grandkids' spouses, and they hadn't even married yet. I pray for them. And I pray for my great-grandchildren hadn't even showed up. I'm not trying to say, look at me. I'm just trying to say, we don't need to have this attitude of Hezekiah. Everything's going to be okay because my time's going to be okay. And by the way, my time is not okay either. But we need somebody to be thinking about future generations too. Amen. Remember my dollar bill? That's not it. <laughs> but when I was at Gardendale, Alabama, I invited Jerry Clower to come. He's a great Christian, loves the Lord. He's a deacon in his church. He's a Baptist. And he'll let you know he's a Southern Baptist, all right? If you hear him talk, you know he's a Southern Baptist. But he's dead now, but he gave me these two $1 bills. He signed them. When I told the story, he said, I'll rectify that right now. He said, I'm going to give you two, so if you lose one, you'll still have one, all right? <laughs> so I've got these at home in a little box. I've made some bad decisions. How many of you know that we all have days that we would live over if we could? Amen. How many of you, now let's just be honest. Come on. How many of you, if you could go back and live that day over, you would gladly do it a thousand times. Anybody out there? Yeah. I saw this picture. Look at this. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. <laughs> Don't you love that? How many of you ever been that monkey with the stick? Anybody? I, I got my hand up, all right? Just messing with people, you know? They're, laying, they're not even bothered. 
I, I laughed till I cried. I'm telling you, I, I couldn't stop. I showed Donna. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, oh, man. I just enjoy looking at it, don't you? Because I've held that stick. How many of you have held that stick? Anybody out there done dumb things? Yeah. Well, take it off. All right. <laughs> There's the other monkey right there. All right, yeah. I'm being as serious as I can be. God has given you some precious things, whether it's your health, your family, your marriage, your friendships. The pearls usually involve people, okay? Don't cast what is precious before swine. Don't treat holy things nonchalantly. Realize there are some things that are precious. Now, if you've messed up, which we all have along the way, including me, we all have, all you can do is ask God to forgive you and then receive that forgiveness and move on. Aren't you grateful for the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ? Amen? Aren't you grateful for that? Amen. So wherever, wherever you've messed up, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I had somebody send me a text uh, after the first sermon. I'm gonna read it to you real quick. And I know the preacher's on the phone. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Isn't that good? Why don't I ever think of things like that? All right, because I'm not C.S. Lewis, okay. Look at me, you, you, can't, you can't change what's already happened, but you, can, you can't do anything about the past, but you can do something about the future. Don't look back, don't look back. Even if you hit a lion with a stick, don't look back, all right? It's not gonna do any good, amen? <laughs> Just don't look back. If you've got people you need to apologize to, go to them and apologize, but then don't live in the past. You can look at the past and learn from the past, but don't live in the past. Don't linger in the past. God made you to walk forward. He put two eyes right in the front of your head to go forward. Live the rest of your life for the glory of God. Live it in love with Jesus. It's not just about praying. It's because you love him and you just want to talk with him. You just want to be in his presence and I got up this morning, I was a little tired, you know, but man, I started talking to the Lord and I just sensed his presence and I'm telling you, I sense him here right now. Amen. I'm not a real touchy-feely kind of guy, okay? But I love the presence of the Lord. Get into that. Amen. Love the Lord and look ahead. Look up at him and look ahead at the future. It's as bright as the promises of God. And don't anymore, don't anymore cast your pearls before swine.